2: from KQED. This is the California report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. Two of the state's largest school districts are going in opposite directions when it comes to getting kids back into the classroom. Here in the Bay Area, San Francisco Unified says it's on track to offer in-person learning at a select number of schools for the district's youngest students beginning on April 12th. Under the plan, elementary school students would stay with their teachers for the entire day and the district would follow all COVID-19 physical distancing guidelines inside classrooms but in LA County the teachers union has overwhelmingly rejected a plan to reopen schools there. 91 percent of members who cast ballots last week said they wouldn't accept what United Teachers Los Angeles President Cecily Meyer Cruz called a rushed return to the classroom.
1: We as educators are prioritizing the health and well-being of our students and their families. We as UTLA continue to stand up with our communities to ensure that safety measures are put into place.
2: The union is pushing the district to wait on reopening until staff are given access to vaccines. All safety conditions are met in schools and until L.A. County is out of the purple tier. California will begin allowing attendance at outdoor sporting events, concerts, and amusement parks starting April 1st. Scott Rod from Cap Radio in Sacramento has the details.
1: The reopenings will happen gradually, and attendance capacity will be limited based on the state's color-coded tier system. Other public health restrictions will remain in place, such as masks and social distancing. There will also be restrictions on food concessions. Dr. Mark Galley is California's Health and Human Services Secretary.
0: California feels well-equipped to take these small but meaningful steps. We will, as I said yesterday, keep our foot on the brake, not the gas, our eyes on the road, our hands on the wheel, And navigate based on data and science.
1: The state's travel advisory remains in effect, but officials acknowledge enforcing it will be a challenge. The state will release more specific guidelines in the coming weeks to iron out final details. For the California Report, I'm Scott Rodd in Sacramento.
2: In Washington, President Joe Biden said last week the U.S. is on track to have enough COVID 19 vaccines to cover all American adults by the end of May. But California officials are tempering expectations of an abundant supply of doses here, at least for the short term. KQED's Farida Javala-Romero reports. California has administered more than 10 million doses of the COVID-19 vaccine, including to 3 million people who are now fully vaccinated. State officials hope the president's announcement will mean a lot more Californians can get the shot. But for now, the state just
0: has a three-week projection from the Centers for Disease Control on how much vaccine it can
1: expect. And I hate to tell you this, but it is entirely flat. There is not a single dose increase.
0: Martha Green is with the California Government Operations Agency.
1: What I'm hoping is that when those allocations actually come, that what's allocated is over that projection, that it's an under-promising and over-delivering.
2: Green warns the wait might feel longer for people who haven't had their first shot because the state has to provide a lot more second doses from what's available. Still, in recent days, the state gave out more than 200,000 shots per day on average. For the California Report, I'm Farida romero Starting today, the city of Long Beach will offer COVID-19 vaccines to anyone from age 16 to 64 who has physical or developmental disabilities. The city just got permission from the state to vaccinate the group. Long Beach is going to be one of the first places in California to begin vaccinating people younger than 65 with disabilities. The state has been preparing to start including this group in the vaccination process starting next week. Now to a story we have followed closely on this show. In the city of Stockton, 25% of Stockton's population lives in poverty. And so two years ago, then-Mayor Michael Tubbs opened the door to an experiment. 125 low-income Stocktonians would get $500 a month, no strings attached, from donors, including the Economic Security Project, backed by a Facebook co-founder and based in Silicon Valley. The results from the trial are out, and former Mayor Tubbs joins me now to talk about them. Thanks for coming back on the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
2: It's great to have you back on the show. So as you look at the data from Stockton's guaranteed income trial, what's been your biggest takeaway?
1: biggest takeaway, and let's shout it from the mountaintops, is that a guaranteed income, I repeat, giving people money, I repeat, did not stop people from working.
2: Right. And there were two groups in this trial. One was getting the extra $500 a month. There was another group not getting that. And in the group getting the benefits, the share of people with a full-time job rose 12 percentage points compared with 5% in the control group. What do you make of that?
1: I make that people want to be productive and that these tropes we have around economic scarcity or poverty being caused by a poverty of character or by a poverty of ambition is just false. They're lies and we should retire them and and move on. What we saw was that it was structural factors. It was the fact that people couldn't buy clothes for interviews. It was the fact that people couldn't avoid child care. It was the fact that people couldn't afford car fixes. It's the fact that people couldn't afford to take time off of their hourly job to to, to interview Um, for a job with maybe a more stable schedule.
2: And we talked about some of the assumptions people have about poverty back in 2019 when I came to Stockton to interview you about the experiment. Um, And back then, here's what you said. You said, as someone who grew up in poverty, who moved up to the working poor, I knew there were a lot of tropes around poor people that just are not true. We live in a polarized world, but do you think that these results might change some minds?
1: I think it'll change some minds, but... I think after doing this work for three years, I realized that data in and of itself is necessary but not sufficient, Um, and that there's all this research that says that data actually does the opposite in terms of converting people's beliefs and and countering confirmation bias, and that we have to figure out a way to touch the hearts and minds. And we know that in this country, particularly race and class have always intersected. That, that so much of the tropes around poverty and economic scarcity are rooted in racism and white supremacy. And until we have a real deliberate conversation about how do we see each other as human beings, how do we understand each other as human beings, and how do we ensure we have a society that reflects that in policy, we'll continue to push against these um, tropes. But I think the data makes it easier to do so.
2: So there are two major criticisms that we hear again and again around universal basic income or guaranteed income in Stockton's case. One is that it eliminates the incentive to work. We've already touched on that, about how participants with a full-time job rose 12%. Another I hear is that a basic income would be used not to supplement but to actually replace existing safety net programs, put those programs in jeopardy. How do you counter that argument?
1: I am opposed to any proposal that would gut the existing social safety net. Um, I think for me, a guaranteed income or universal basic income is important for everyone, but particularly important for those who are on the underbelly of the economy, Um, for the essential workers, for the single mothers, for those who are working incredibly hard and still unable to pay their bills, to folks who took out student debt and are now in public service professions, et cetera. Um, So I think there's ways to pay for a guaranteed income without Demonizing or getting rid of the existing social safety net, although there are efficiencies and things that those things could do better, like the rest of our government. But we could pay for it by sort of data dividends and, and, and taxing the data and the wealth we create from the data we produce. We can pay for it by legalizing marijuana nationwide and using some of those um, tax proceeds to fund some sort of guaranteed income. We could pay for it by defunding the Space Force. Um, and other crazy um ideas rooted in 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 the in, in the strength of a democracy being in its defense yeah. um, from alien invaders versus uh, its uh, literal aliens versus <laughs> its strength being rooted in its investment in in people. So there's ways to pay for it. um, but I wouldn't propose I wouldn't support anything, and I'll be the most vocal proponent against anything um, that says we should gut the existing social safety and take away the programs that are helping people today. Um, to, to build towards a guaranteed income.
2: So before I let you go, I want to ask you about the campaign. You lost your bid to remain Stockton's mayor in November. Um, and in my conversations with Stocktonians, I've met a lot of fans of yours. I have also though spoken with people who voted for you and then you know felt like local issues sometimes took a, a back seat to the national attention which this experiment brought. In fairness to you, you know, this this trial also put a spotlight on Stockton, not just you individually. But but do you think that bringing this project to Stockton hurt you politically and might even have cost you the election?
1: Yeah, well, let me say that um, I will put my record as mayor of Stockton against any mayor of Stockton's history. I left office with a $13 million surplus. I left office with two of my four years being named the All-American City. I left office with two of the safest years in terms of shooting and homicides in the last 20 in the city. Um, So I I think that I'm I'm proud of that work. And I think also economic scarcity and and poverty is a huge issue for the city of Stockton and something the mayor should be focused on. Um, I think I lost my election. It's been documented because of disinformation and I also understand that in the history of this country, anytime anyone has been unapologetic about equity, unapologetic about condemning white supremacy vocally, unapologetic about making sure that we get rid of poverty. The status quo has a lot of friends, but I would say I lost an election, but I'm going to win the, po- the policy war. And we're going to win the policy war because now we have 40 who are signed out for guaranteed income and the momentum is just only be- beginning to build.
2: All right. Well, we look forward to seeing your next steps as you try to bring this idea to other cities across the country. Thank you so much for spending some time with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. Anytime.
2: Leaders of the effort to recall Governor Gavin Newsom say they've collected more than 1.9 million signatures with a little more than a week before a deadline. County and state elections officials will need to verify nearly 1.5 million of those as valid signatures by March 17th to trigger a recall election. The most recent verification numbers from the Secretary of State's office found that about 83 percent of the signatures counted by early February were valid. If the recall effort succeeds, a special election would likely 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 occur later this year. The Kern County Board of Supervisors is holding a public hearing today on whether to allow tens of thousands of oil wells to be built over the next 15 years. A proposal pushed by the petroleum industry would speed up the permitting process for new oil and gas drilling by creating a blanket environmental impact report. A state appeals court blocked a similar plan in 2015, saying it failed to fully evaluate or disclose environmental damage that could occur from drilling. Environmentalists and some community groups say this latest proposal still doesn't address potential violations of the California Environmental Quality Act. To Silicon Valley now, where tech giant Google is under scrutiny this morning after a new report from NBC News. It alleges that Google advised mental health care as a solution when workers complained about racism and sexism there. NBC's April Glazer joins me now. Good morning.
0: Good morning, Lily. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you back on the show.
2: One of the people who you and your colleague Char Adams profile is a former Google employee named Benjamin Cruz. And Cruz alleges that a colleague at Google told them that their skin was much darker than expected. Um, Obviously not a very comfortable thing to hear at work. And Cruz ended up going to human resources
0: at Google. Tell us what happened next. Right. So Cruz went to Human Resources and they were told that they should assume good intent. And, you know, Cruz had had issues on his team before. April So he asked uh, Human Resources to look into it even further. And their solution was that Cruz should take a medical leave to address their mental health before moving to a new role in the company. So Cruz did go on the medical leave. But when he came back, he had interviewed for various roles, but was turned down and was eventually forced to quit. So he felt that he was really pushed out after complaining about an experience of racism that he had while he was at work.
2: And Cruz's story is not the only one you heard. Um, You talked to about 10 people, it sounds like. For those who say that they took that kind of leave, this mental health leave, what did they tell you happened when they would
0: come back to the company once that leave was over? Right. So we talked to 10 people who this happened to, but then another 12 people who said they know that this happens all the time, or they know people who this happened to. So we really reported this out. And, and what we found for many of the people who this did happen to is that when they came back, they came back to a new manager, or a different role, or a different place in the organization, and their work history didn't necessarily carry with them. And so they weren't eligible for the promotions or the raises that they would get, you know, had they had their work history brought with them to their new manager or to their new role. And it ultimately affected them financially, they said. And, you know, these people um, who we spoke to, the majority of them are from underrepresented minorities and do not uh, have a lot of colleagues that look like them at Google. And uh, they felt that they were just kind of continuously stifled. They go with a complaint of racism or sexism that they experience. They are told to to seek a mental health break or to take a mental health leave. Uh, And then they come back and, uh, you know, they felt that they had to kind of start over in many ways. Yeah. And this is a really striking
2: point to me because when I first came to the Bay Area as a reporter five years ago, a lot of tech companies had started releasing these diversity reports and they'd come out and you'd compare it to the last one and you'd see that not a whole lot had changed. And so I wonder, how do you think your story fits into that bigger story about Silicon Valley's problem with diversity in its ranks?
0: Right. Yeah. Diversity in Silicon Valley has been abysmal for a long time, despite throwing hundreds of millions of dollars from all of these companies every year into it. And we have to you know, ask, why is this so intractable? And one reason might be because when employees do come... With a complaint of racism or sexism that they experience, as opposed to, you know, treating that complaint as something that's very valid, that needs to be investigated. Employees told us, sources told us, that they were told that they need to address their mental health and and possibly even take a mental health leave. And so this could be one reason why we see these perpetually abysmal diversity numbers in, you know, the most powerful industry in the world. That creates our AI, that that kind of determines what we see and what we know, especially for a company like Google uh, with such a prominent search process.
2: What did Google have to say when you brought these allegations to them?
0: Google said that, you know, it takes these allegations very seriously, it investigates all of the allegations, and that it wants to provide mental health resources as, as a resource for employees to help them, you know, get the care that they need. And, you know, there's no doubt that it's very important that, that companies do recognize the importance of mental health care and therapy. It's just, it comes into question, according to, you know, diversity work experts that we spoke to, when it's used as a way of questioning employees' mental health health when they bring up claims of discrimination.
2: You can read this story on NBCnews.com. We appreciate your reporting. Thanks for coming back on. Thanks, Lily. And that is the California Report for this Monday. We end on this tweet from my co-host Saul Gonzalez to Meghan Markle and Prince Harry after their bombshell interview with Oprah last night. Whatever happens, Saul writes, you're Californians now. See you on the 405. or at In-N-Out. Saul is on Twitter as at SaulKQED. I am at Lily Jamali. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.
0: Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits, stanfordhealthcare.org adaptingcare. Personal Capital, helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor, personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere.
2: Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of The California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world.
1: I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now.
2: KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Hi there, I'm Rand abdel from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country, and everything in between. Support this work today.
1: You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast.